Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Rogue Opinions, and my name is Jim Baxter, and I'm here with Scott McLeod. Scott, how are you today? Doing very well, man. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. A little on the hot side today, but uh, after I've spent about an hour in the air conditioning, I think I'm, I think I'm well awake again. We are here today to cover the pilot episode of SmackDown. SmackDown's been on about 20 years, so I guess it's about time we get started on that. Um, Scott, any uh, any interesting things happen to you over the week before we start getting into the show? Uh, I got to chat to PCO on Wednesday, Wednesday, I think it was. Oh, okay. All yeah, right. I mean, I mean, it was like for a different for another podcast. I was doing an interview for him. I didn't just happen to run into him on the street because he lives. He's over in the states right now, and I'm in Scotland, so. Didn't have a run into him, but it was, he was, he was nice enough. He, nice enough guy to talk to. Awesome! It's always cool when you run into you know different people in the business and you find out like how fun and how cool they are in real life, and it's it just makes you feel good about the business as a whole. Yeah, I mean, I I realized quickly that I had to slow, like talk very slowly because I didn't realize with most Scottish people the fast you tend to talk fast without realizing it. It's not until you talk to someone. It's not from Scotland that you realize that first he actually asked me if I was Irish, but he asked you if you were Irish first. Yeah. <laughs> I mean I guess I guess to uh some people both accents sound the same unless you're used to hearing it on a regular basis. Yeah. Um yeah, I mean uh, so far it's just been a bland week for me, so we're just gonna dive right into the pilot episode of SmackDown took place at the end of April 1999. Uh, And uh, the first episode doesn't pick back up until August, so it's an interesting little gap in the storylines that are going on at the time. Now, are you... Were you watching uh, the product at the time, Scott? Uh, No, I wouldn't be watching... I think I'd still be too young to start watching. I wouldn't be until, I think, a couple of years later I I would start watching. All right, so uh, this is uh, pretty fresh to you, then. Yeah, I mean, most of the events of, like, 99, I've seen back, because I'm one of those people that, even though I wasn't around at the time, I always like watching stuff online or reading up on, like, stuff that happened, so I can at least seem like I know what I'm talking about when I'm talking to other fans about it. Right, right. Um, Well, I I haven't really gone back and watched this show probably since it aired, and uh, going back for the first time in a while, it uh, it was interesting to see what you could get away with and not get away with as far as production and promos and everything i'm sure we'll get into all of that so i'm going to dive right into the beginning uh it opens with a recap of the austin mcmahon rock shane ministry kerfuffle that had been going on over the last couple of months i think it was uh one of the best recap videos from a time that had a lot of really great recap videos what did you make of it a really long recap i thought because i looked at like the timestamp of like Still at least two and a good minutes into the show, and we're still recapping, which just goes to show how much was going on. But uh, I should just may as well just preface it with a previously on WWF with how much they had to range you because I believe they mentioned on the show is only a couple of days after Backlash. Yeah, this this would have been taped on the Tuesday, I believe, right after Monday Night Raw, after Backlash. So a whole bunch of stuff is going on. There's a lot of players at the same time doing a lot of interesting things. Um, 
And you get, I, I think it was one of the best recap videos just basically because by the time it got to the end where you hear Cornette saying like, he's not doing it out of the love of, or the hatred of McMahon. He's just doing it because it was the right thing. And you see that the, the look on Austin's face where uh, Stephanie is, is hugging him and it just, it had me pumped. I mean, I yeah. haven't seen the show in 20 years, but I was absolutely pumped and ready for this show by the time that ended. So it did a, did a good job. You definitely tell. So you can definitely tell this was tape because you can tell they wanted to do another show. They're definitely popular enough to do another show because they already had heat going as well as Raw. But uh, you can tell they didn't know what it wanted to look like, so they thought, "I'll oh, we'll just tape it after Raw." Because you got the big blue, like regular SmackDown intro that we're used to when it's the first couple of years. It's maybe the blue brand, and we show up. We've got the Raw set and red ropes. Yeah, absolutely. And also what I found was interesting was that uh, when you go back and watch some of these shows, you can tell the difference between like the style of production between a Monday Night Raw and say like a pay-per-view. And this one felt like it was a little tilted more to the pay-per-view side, like almost like they didn't even know at the time that it like this wasn't going to be anything more than a one-off. So that was pretty interesting. Um, what did you make of the that opening video that like like a million miles a minute you have images coming at you and then the word smackdown and wwf and stuff smacking you in the face uh it's a good intro uh not, not my favorite of like intros but there's been so many over the years but it's definitely like we, talk, we joke about like the old raw intro at least you can make it the odd word from that this completely indecipherable i, I just imagine they got someone in the studio to speak a, some complete inane lines and then to say to speed it up to the point where you can't even hear what the person's saying a bit. If you actually just slowed the intro down, you just hear somebody having a normal conversation. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, going back and, and hearing it again, it definitely do does sound like a person just going... It's just, it's very strange that they chose that for an intro theme. Um, but, you know, 1999, I suppose. Yeah. And then, of course, the all the pyro in the world uh, mm -hmm. gets set off and... We're re ready to roll on SmackDown. Stephanie and Vince come out, no music, uh, with police officers. Cornette and Cole are on commentary. Um, I found that, uh, before we get into the promo proper, um, I found that like just the way Stephanie looks here, like kind of dead behind the eyes and childish, it was just very weird to see, especially knowing in 2019 who she becomes and how big of a character she now is. Yeah, it's definitely a, a huge shift. Like, because even by the end of the year, she starts to is when she first turns and aligns with Hunter, and she becomes the Stephanie that we know today. And it just was you how big of a shift it was because she goes from basically, like you said, she's not very, she's not the best at promos to start as this episode showed, but she's still fairly new. And then how quickly, as soon as she aligns with Hunter and becomes a heel, how quickly she picks up on it. Right, yeah, and just yeah, we'll get into it during the promo. But she, uh, the, just like the, the like breathy voice that she speaks with during it. Um, the uh, getting back into the promo, the the crowd starts chanting "asshole" at Vince, which he accepts and fully says, you know, I've been that, I've been that. Fully accepting the fact that there's twenty thousand people calling him an asshole, and it's just today, like I mean, they even bring it up on commentary, uh, especially when Shane comes out that uh. You know, oh, there go those chants again. And that just, it just wouldn't happen today. It doesn't happen today. And I found that interesting as well. Yeah, it's good they acknowledge it because uh, it wasn't only a few, to like a few weeks ago that he started becoming a good guy because Stephanie was in danger of being threatened by The Undertaker. So you need to have that acknowledgement because you can't have it like it is today where 
somebody turns face and then they team with someone who they were in a feud with when they were a heel, but suddenly all is forgiven. You need to have that acknowledgement. We had it layered on with Rock and Austin. Absolutely. Um, so as we get more into the promo, Vince takes the time to thank Shamrock and the Big Show. And then when he gets to Stone Cold, just the mere mention of Stone Cold's name here in 1999 sent the crowd into a tizzy. They were just like, oh, is he coming out? Oh, my God. Yes, yes. Stone Cold. Give me give me more of that. Um, it's just a it's kind of a Pavlovian response. You hear the name Austin. No matter how many times his name is mentioned, still got the same reaction. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, what I found a little weird, though, is that once Stephanie gets the microphone, she refers to The Undertaker abducting her and undressing her and touching her. And every time she she says like anything like provocative like that, the, the 90s were a weird time. People were just like, oh, you got like almost raped. Hell yeah. All right. Like, yeah, it's just a very weird thing to pop for, you know? Yeah, it's just unsettling. Like. When they start, before the asshole chant start, they just, the promo was kind of, the crowd are kind of silent for the start because, which is weird at the start of the show, you expect them to be kind of rabid, especially this era of a crowd, but so that's that. then suddenly to pop when she says the Undertaker undressed her and they all started cheering, just like, I think they've already forgotten, like, you don't remember the context of that. He was abducting her against her will. Yeah, yeah. They, not, like, not like Deborah or Sable later on who've willingly undressed. It's a completely different thing. They've been desensitized that crowd. Absolutely, yeah. And it's just it's just a weird thing to start clapping for. Could you imagine just sitting there as like a kid and you're there with your parents or something and she brings up that she's been undressed and tied to a cross or I'm sorry, it's not a cross, it's a symbol. Sorry, sorry, Bruce Pritchard. Um <laughs> But you, you're getting undressed and touched and dressed in this black gown and being strapped to a symbol. And, and you're just like, yay, yay, near rape. And it's like, how did like parents back then not go, we're getting the fuck out of here. What is going on here? Like you said, 90s, man. Weird yeah. Thing. So then uh, Shane comes out, interrupts with um, the majority of the corporation at his side. Uh, asshole chants start again. And this is when it's brought up on commentary. He asks, what kind of human being uh, do Vince and Stephanie think he is? And before he can even uh, before Vince can even get out pretty much a whole sentence, he says he doesn't give a rat's ass about Stephen Vince and he kicks them out of the ring. Uh, he sets up the Rock and Stone Cold versus Triple H and The Undertaker with a very clever sort of like, do we have any takers? And then the lights all go off and everybody's like, oh, I know what that means. Oh, my God. Um and that's going to be our main event for the pilot episode of SmackDown, really showing that they were really going at it like full guns blazing here, that they were setting up a big match with arguably the four biggest guys in the company at the moment. Mm-hmm. I definitely love the fact Triple H immediately puts his hand up. He gets uh, chosen to be in the main event. And then you've got the entire corporation, even the Mean Street Posse, putting their hands up. But Shane's just ignoring them going, anyone, anyone? He's looking China and the boss man right in the eye as he's like, oh, nobody, nobody. And it's like, oh, man, you you should have just spit right in their face. Just yeah. sort of been like th- that would have been even better for them. And how, um, how blatantly he was hinting who the partner was going to be. Any takers, anybody yeah. who dresses, dresses in black, <laughs> anyone from Death Valley here. Anyone who's uh, over 6'10 and 300 pounds and from Death Valley, anybody who... Uh, you know, the, you use an urn. Maybe you have a manager who's overweight. Anybody? I have a brother who dresses all in red with a mask. 
<laughs> um, so then briefly, right after that gets all set up, we see Deborah and Double J looking for Owen, and then we see the Blue Blazer um, <laughs> saying that, you know, that the, the WWF needs a superhero, and I'm going to give it to him. Cue uh, up your Joker and uh, Dark Knight impressions, ladies <laughs> and gentlemen. Um, then we go right into Val Venus uh, versus Jeff Jarrett with Deborah, but it ends up being that he's the replacement for the Blue Blazer. Um, Val, uh, before D- Jeff comes out, he makes mention of his mutual funds uh, and promises there will be no early withdrawals. Did the guy who normally writes Val Venus's promos like call in sick this day? Because that's a stretch. Yeah, I mean. He's been around for a year at this point, and he's kind of promo basically every, before every match. I think at a certain point, you start to run out of stuff that is clever, clever innuendos. You start have to scrape the bottom of the barrel occasionally. Yeah, absolutely. And they did have a, a little bit of an uphill battle to climb where they're on network television for the first time in a long time. So they sort of almost have to reintroduce a lot of these characters that they're behind. So I guess if you got to give them something, you got to try and go with anything you got. Um, so then, uh, Jeff says he's Owen's replacement, uh, but just before the bell rings, the blazer runs in and attacks Venus. The bell then rings for reasons. Um, and Deborah distracts Val later on. I mean, it's a good match. I mean, there's not a lot to really say about this match other than it was a good match. It had a good, it had a good flow of sequences. Both of these guys are, I mean, Owen Hart is arguably one of the best of all time. So you can put him in there with a mop inside of a bucket and it will be a great match. Yeah, and um, most of these matches, like you say, they had like that pay per view. We need to remember this is uh, still one part of the weekly TV, especially in this era where matches went by very quickly to even comment on. But I was, I was still entertained by the match. Like you said, Owen's still great, even if he is dressed as the Blue Blazer. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and uh, then as we get to the finish of the match, Deborah distracts Val, um, who is he's pretty into it for a second, but then sort of waves her off and uh, hits a fisherman suplex, but then gets a really gnarly low blow from Jeff Jarrett. I mean, geez, Louise, like he's going to have to be offset for a couple of weeks after <laughs> after that one. Yeah, and Val's profession, you may as well hit him in the face because the down there is the real moneymaker. Yeah, for real, for real. Um, I mean, because you could you could bust up Val Venus's face all you want, but if you hit him in the jewels, he's he's not making some money that weekend. <laughs> um. So then, um, Nicole Bass comes out to break up Val getting jumped after uh the uh the low blow from Jeff. Um. Everybody sort of scampers off, and Val sort of just runs off after that. But then. Godfather comes out, uh, almost trips on his way to the ring. I don't know. Did you notice that when he was on his way down? He very nearly tripped right before he hit the ring. Um, And he comes out to collect his property. Ugh. Uh, (laughs) But then gets jumped by Jeff Jarrett and the Blazer. Cool. A couple of things I pointed out for the segment. Val running away from Nicole Pass. And I think at Nicole Bath, you realize this is when the time China's starting to have more surgery to kind of, and for lack of a better term, make her more womanly because Dirty has a certain way they want women to look. So, did she get to a certain point and the W's like, well, we can't make fun of her for looking like a man anymore, so we need somebody else to make fun of. How about that woman? Because I, I, I feel bad for Nicole Bath. I feel that, like that's all she was really hired for. Oh, yeah. I mean, especially as time goes on, uh, we'll be seeing it as we dive more into these 
early SmackDown episodes that she they literally just treat her like garbage like the whole time she's there she maybe has like a week here or there where it's starting to look like it's okay everything's fine but then she gets called a pig or a monster or a man or whatever and it's just it's just bad it's just really really bad i mean let's let's be honest here she's not i mean she's not like the most attractive woman on the face of the planet but by no means is she hideous you know i mean to to drag her out there every week, put her under contract, and then just to make fun of her on national television is just low. Just real low. Yeah, because Val is pretty much, you know, like he wants to avoid her. He's like full on running away from her, like, no, get away from me because she's maybe in their eyes that unappealing, which is pretty sad. And like, a really, something that really shows the era that this takes place in is Godfather coming down for his, again, quote, property. And he's getting beaten up two on one because the other guys don't want him to take a woman as his property. And you get the commentators like, oh, what's that? What are they doing this for? This is unfair. He just wants his property. Yeah, and I get that it was like a stipulation for a match that Deborah was like property or whatnot. But it's just like, man, like, I mean, it wasn't even for the fucking Intercontinental title. They like it, that had nothing to do with it. It was just I want to add this woman to my hoe train so I can prostitute her for money. I mean, talk about how the IC titles, but nowadays at least we're not saying yes, this woman is more valuable than this championship. I mean, I with with as much money as she put into her chest, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, you know, <laughs> I, I wouldn't disagree with that. But you know, 1999. <laughs> Uh, we then quickly see, uh, the rock backstage giving himself a pep talk. I mean, it's the rock being the rock. It's going to be good. Uh, he's saying that he's going to make everybody, he's going to make some candy asses famous, yada, yada, yada. Um, and then a weirdly placed blue blazer promo. He's back in the Cape. He's backstage with Kevin Kelly, uh, who calls him Owen, which by the way, Kevin Kelly, best backstage reporter, best interviewer that they probably ever had other than Renee Young. Cause she is, uh, he is just in there going to get the dirt, going to get the, 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 the real story, really calling people out on their shit. I mean, he's the one who turns Vince McMahon essentially when he makes Vince McMahon answer the question, if he wants stone cold to be champion. And then you finally hear the, Oh, hell no for the first time. And Kevin Kelly for all of him is what I'm saying. Yeah. He's really good. Especially like nowadays he's only gotten better in his roles in New Japan commentary, but, I think a lot of us didn't notice at the time because him, much like Michael Cole, when they were backstage, like they were just put in positions like with the likes of The Rock and that just to be yelled at and made fun of. Like when The Rock called him a hermaphrodite. <laughs> yeah. Never forget Michael Cole was called a hermaphrodite. Like, uh, I think with the Owen, like, as much as people don't like the memory of the Blue Blazer because of what happened with Owen, he was still really entertaining here. He, he had kind of shades of Kurt Angle when Kurt Angle came and we told him telling the kids to drink their milk, but what I didn't like about the match, like, I don't know what you felt about Michael Cole and, uh, and Jim Cornell on commentary, but they seemed like having two face commentators, like, they were both blatantly just saying, like, oh, yeah, that's definitely one under there, whereas if you had, like, a heel commentator in one face, you'd have the heel sticking up from, like, no, that's clearly not on, he's a blue blazer, and the, you had the face that caused an argument, like, if it was GR and the King, whereas they were blatantly not even trying to make an illusion, they were just saying, no, that's the one under there. I know we can tell, but, like, just... Yeah, it had come out uh, pretty much at this point that, it, like, everybody knew that it was Owen playing tricks. So 
I get I get that. Um, I mean, I don't know if you could tell. I tried to sort of breeze past the whole blue blazer of it all. Uh, just even when I was taking my notes, because this is, I think, three weeks before that unfortunate tragedy over the edge uh, takes place where we sadly lost Owen Hart. Um, but this it, it is hard to go back and watch the blue blazer segments with that in mind. But, you know, he was a great talent and this was a great, a good match that he put on. And unfortunately, it was just, you know, a couple, couple weeks before the end. And it just, it makes you sad a little bit sometimes when you think about it. Yeah, I didn't really want to think that. I tried to just take the segments like as they were and for what they were. Owen does everything he can to make them entertaining. And that's what they were. And like you say, yeah, it only is a couple of weeks so like over there because a lot was happening. The thing had just had backlash. We had this. Then they go over to the UK for No Mercy, and then a few weeks later, over the edge. It's kind of like nowadays, just so much content happening because they're that big at the moment. Yeah. Um. And what what did you think about the the placement of this promo? That like he's by himself again. He's got the cape on, and he, he doesn't. It seems like it was a, like a like a pre shot promo, and to not put it before the match just felt kind of weird to me. Uh, how did that strike you? Yeah, it was weird because like you had. Went backstage, they were talking about what was coming up later, and then just cut to The Rock, and then you cut to Owen by himself. Like, it did feel like he should be with uh, Jeff and Deborah because they just left the arena, they walked up the ramp together, and then suddenly Owen's by himself. Yeah, and he won't say Venus, but he's yeah. making everybody think that about penis because he said, Well, you know what it rhymes with, but I can't say it. And it's like, Come on now, dude, come on. Yeah, he's just, he's just so wholesome. He's he just like, he's struggling to say it, and eventually he's forced to say the word cleavage. I think there's just too much cleavage and cleavage in the WWF. Yeah, and it's like you walked out of the ring with a woman who proudly displays her tits to everybody all the time. And good for her. If that's what she wants to do, good on her. I mean, they're a great pair of tits. I'm sure she paid a lot of money for them. But at the end of the day, you can't be talking out of both sides of your mouth like that, you know? It was a little little hackneyed, a little weird. If it had been on before the promo, I definitely would have... If it had been on before the match, rather, um, I think it definitely would have worked a little bit better for them. But it was just... It was odd. It was odd, to say the least. Mm-hmm. Uh, moving right along to our second match, speaking of not a lot to say, uh, <laughs> the Big Show versus Test. Um, apparently, Test got kicked out of the corporation last Monday, and, uh, you know, we'll see that in a few mo- moments when Bossman comes out that uh, Bossman and Test had some uh, dissension and Test was kicked out of the corporation. So he's sort of just floating on his own for now. Um, it said on commentary that Vince and Steph have left the building out of disgust. Um, OK, good, good, good on them, I guess. Um, after a drop kick from the 500 plus pound uh, Big Show and a choke slam, Big Show gets the win. Uh, before we get to the post-match angle, was uh, there anything that you had to say about the match, or no? Yeah, like you said, it went so by so fast to uh, to really comment. All I could think of was poor test. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And it, you know, with with two big guys in there, they could have at least had this go a couple minutes where they just beat the hell out of each other or whatever, and then you can still have the same out of nowhere drop kick, choke slam, end of match. But to have it go, I think it was like. A minute, minute and a half, maybe. Yeah, um, they talk about how big the big shows like size foot, or size of his foot is. So if he's going to drop it, that is going to take care of it. But so if you fold up the choke slam, you can see why that would be the finish. It's like 
like you said, if they had a bit more of a back and forth before that, where the main test kind of was a bit of a jobber, to be fair. Yeah, yeah, definitely not a very good character-building moment for Test. Uh, right after the match ends, Bossman comes out to attack Test. Uh, but then Big Show sort of stands off with them, leaves, lets Test get choked by the nightstick, and then he comes back to save him. Little, little weird, but um, I guess that's moving toward what we know becomes the union in the coming weeks. Yeah, we all because we all remember that with fond memories. Oh, absolutely! The long reign of the union with their two by fours and whatnot, and being led by Vince McMahon for a couple weeks, and you know, fond memories, of course, and their big. <laughs> Their big push to WrestleMania that year, where they all walked out with the championships, really took over, really held strong. Uh, no, none of that happens. Um, so, <laughs> out next is The Rock for a promo. Um, and it said on commentary, I always like this on commentary, that when somebody says, well, he's not on our format here. He's not supposed to be out here yet. I like that a little bit. It's sort of like peeking around the curtain, but it's not too overtly going like, eh? And look, 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 we we know what's supposed to happen and stuff like that. And uh, I always really like that where like it sort of breaks it a little bit. Um, yeah. Rock stops when the crowd tries to sing along with him, uh, which I thought was funny because he's he's definitely got the Rudy Poo, the Smackdown Hotel, the I'm going to shove my horns up your ass shit. But he still is sort of in the middle where he doesn't want people to say it with him. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as where the Rock is now, how did you... Uh, take the rock at this point in his career well first off what you said i did like how the, the idea of like he wasn't meant to come out so it does create that feeling of anything can happen without fully like trying to start telling you like oh we're not this isn't supposed to happen because we know what's going to happen like and basically throwing it in your face but as far as the uh, the promo goes i really enjoyed it like you said he's clearly still transitioning because he turns face almost immediately after uh, after backlash, because he's, he's gone to the point already, you know, he's only, even though he's only healed for a few months, that he's already the charisma is starting to win over the fans again, so they need to turn a face, and like so, he's not used to the fans like singing along with him, so he pauses and then he basically has to deliver the line again because he was thrown off by the fact the fans were doing it with him. Absolutely, um, and then Austin comes out after The Rock threatens to stick his horns up Austin's ass if he gets in The Rock's way. Austin, of course, disagrees, says that he's going to snap those horns off and slap him on the barbecue. Um, and while they're going back and forth with, with one another, the corporate, uh, the corporation music hits and Shane comes out to say his plan is getting bigger and better. And the lights go out and Shane McMahon is joined on stage by both the corporation and the ministry. This is probably one of the biggest moments, not only of the show, but of the entire year. We see the formation of the corporate ministry. And obviously their plans are going to have to change if they want to be able to take them down in the main event. What did you think about the formation of the corporate ministry here? Well, I like the, the Austin bit in the pro where he said, like I said earlier, like you can't just ignore, ignore the fact that these two were rivals. They may have entered WrestleMania, which is only like a month or so before this. So you can't just have them teaming together like nothing happened. So I like that announcement. Although I must question, I'm not, I don't know a lot about barbecue, but I'm pretty sure you don't horns are the worst part of a bill to put on a barbecue. So Austin Clear does not know a lot about barbecue. 
Uh, I mean, I'm sure it was a little bit more in depth than that. I think he said he's going to snap the horns off and then like shave his ass and put it on the barbecue. There was a lot of like ass talk um, <laughs> in this whole thing. So my eyes started to go crossways while I was doing my notes. And I was just like, ah, I don't, I, who's sticking what up whose ass and how can I watch? Um, moving on. Yeah, the, yeah. <laughs> the corporate ministry, yeah. Like, I did like how kind of over the top, same thing to be in his promo, like just how many people, because there's already a fair amount of people in the corporation and in the ministry. Now you've got them all together, got the weird collection. You've got Triple H in China along with Visser and Main Street Posse all together. And I was trying not to be distracted when the Taker came out with the idiots in the crowd trying to point a laser pointer in his face. Yeah. <laughs> And also how, how proud Shane is of his, his closing line saying, you better change your strategy, and then immediately does a wink like he's so happy with himself. He looked like he just shit in both of their Wheaties, like, at the <laughs> same time. He was so fucking proud of himself, which, I mean, listen, if you're standing out there and you have, you know, 12 other dudes out there, uh, I'm sorry, 11 other dudes in China out there, like, that your your deck is pretty stacked and you know that like at that point like it's going to be pretty damn hard for even Austin and the Rock who are I mean in kayfabe not in kayfabe the whole deal like the biggest dudes in the company right now and for both of those guys to look like oh shit this is this is going to be difficult that's a it's a pretty big power move yeah like this segment just proves Shane has always been the best in the world like he's always been one step ahead <laughs> And it just goes to show, man, that, you know, you put in 20 years of work and eventually in an unnamed country, you will be named best in the world. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we move on now. Kevin Kelly is back with the WWF Tag Team Champions, Kane and X-Pac. Uh, they go over what happened on Monday where there was a, I think uh, Kane uh, had gotten a bloodbath and he was, you know, just seeing red. He was all pissed off. So he attacks X-Pac and X-Pac says, well, if you want things unpredictable, that's how it's going to be. And just sort of walks off. Uh, there's a little bit of an awkward stare between Kevin Kelly and Kane. And that's the end of that promo. What would you make of the promo? I don't know. I didn't really, really think much of it. I could barely understand what Xbox was really saying. Although that might just be my network at that point. Because there was a point during the show where it kept freezing. But like, I think it was good because you had a similar thing with the Outlaws later on. Where this is maybe a tight tail match. These are two. Well, one team's more established than the other. But there's still like issues between them because like Xbox is going against two guys that he's teamed with before and also this thing with Kane who's Kane's still a bit unhinged. Yeah, and we'll we'll get into it a little bit more in the match coming up, but uh I, I do think it's it's very intriguing with the way that X Pac and uh Billy Gunn and Road Dog they all have that, you know, they were just in DX together a couple months ago and now they're on opposite sides, and there's a lot of interesting stuff going on there. But what's not interesting is the next match, Draws with Prince Albert versus D'Lo Brown with Ivory, or as I call them, Ebony and Ivory. <laughs> um, Draws is called Rude, Crude, and Tattooed. Ugh. I'd, um, I'd call him the Mad Hatter based on his attire, but... <laughs> um, commentary talks about pretty much everything except the match going on in the ring. Um, which goes to show you how important this is because these guys had to come out and follow the announcement of the corporate ministry. So they were fighting an uphill battle as it is. And I'm, you know, I'm a little 
swayed because growing up I loved D'Lo Brown, even though like he had that really like shitey like bobblehead shit that he did. I still loved him constantly. Um and it, it was it was cool to hear the little bit that they did talk about him where, you know, they said he was a certified public accountant and, you know, draws makes himself puke. Um Albert pushes D'Lo off the top rope and then gets in the ring a couple moments later and attacks D'Lo for the DQ. Um, and Ivory just sort of takes off because she doesn't need that shit. Good on her. Get out of there. Um, Albert takes out a piercing needle and goes to pierce D'Lo's tongue, but is saved by a returning Mark Henry with a snazzy, snazzy green suit on. I mean, he was looking fresher than my pool table. I'll tell you. Yeah. Uh, See, the thing with the, most of these matches, as uh, we talked about the first couple, how they went, they seemed to go so fast, yet this is what the one match that, even though it went five minutes, it seemed to be put in like slow motion because it just dragged on, even though it didn't probably didn't last that long. And, like, I don't mean to bring up unpleasant things, but I know I did wince a little bit because I was worried what was going to happen when D'Lo gets draws up for a running powerbomb. I thought, oh, please, not this. And they realized, no, that's later on. Oh, yeah. I, I think if that had happened on the pilot of SmackDown, we may have never even got SmackDown. I think it happens in a few months, maybe at SummerSlam or something. I, I don't remember exactly when it happens, but yeah, D'Lo does end up getting him with a running powerbomb, I think. Or it might be the uh, sky high or the yeah. lowdown. I, I always get them mixed up. Um, but Wait, overall, go ahead. Sorry. sorry, considering how much they recap on the show, like... I don't think I got. I really mentioned for one point why Ivory was even with them because Ivory comes out with Dilo, and I'm just like waiting for an explanation. And then like nobody, like you said, they're talking about anything other than this match. Like, but why is Ivory with them? Like, it just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I, it's very weird because I guess she didn't fit in with PMS, so they had to put her somewhere because they have her under contract. And I guess. With Henry out, it seemed like the only logical place to put her was with D'Lo Brown. And if she wasn't with D'Lo Brown, I wouldn't have been able to come up with that glorious intergender tag team name for them, <laughs> Ebony and Ivory. Oh, Never forget. If only the mixed match challenge had been around back then. Exactly. Exactly. This is what I'm saying. If you guys would have loved to see Ivory and D'Lo Brown together in the mixed match uh, tag team tournament, let us know. Hashtag Ebony and Ivory. <laughs> um. So, yeah, he gets saved by Mark Henry. Um, they hug it out. Everyone's happy. There's much rejoicing. We go backstage, and again, Kevin Kelly is just roaming the hallways looking for scoops. He is, just, he is putting in a goddamn shift. Mean, meanwhile, the war reporter is comfortable at ringside with Jim Cornette, and <laughs> Kevin Kelly is just running around the back, really getting in his steps. His cardio must have been fantastic in 1999. <laughs> So yeah. Kevin Kelly's in the back with the New Age Outlaws, and uh, really before the promo can even start getting going, um, Road Dog mentions that X-Pac is a friend, and uh, Mr. Ass just interrupts him and says there's no such thing as friends when it comes to the titles, and storms off. Dissension in the midst of the New Age Outlaws. Um, anything to say about the promo? It just, it just makes no sense for Billy. Like, there's no such thing as friends when it comes to the titles. You're, these are titles that rely rely on you to team with someone in order to win them so you need to be somewhat friendly with them billy like billy promos were never billy strong so that's why road dog always did the talking yeah absolutely uh that's why during the intro he only ever gets to say suck it mm -hmm. uh so up next our fourth match of the evening wwf tag team titles are on the line kane and x-pac are defending against the new age outlaws 
Um, the trust issues Kane has with X-Pac and uh, the trust issues between the New Age Outlaws are both played up on commentary throughout. Um, Mr. Ass doesn't wait for Road Dogs like little intro at the beginning. Um, just goes straight to the ring. Doesn't even do his part of the in-ring intro, uh, which I found interesting. Just like I get that he was upset and a little pissed off, but to not do your gimmick is like a whole nother thing, man. Like, gotta give the people what they want. Oh, come on, Belly. It's only two words. Exactly. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. It's not like he had all the heavy lifting. Like, uh, Road Dog's the one doing the whole, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, that whole spiel. And all you have to do is say, if you're not down with that, suck it. Like, come on, man. Um, X Pac and uh, Road Dog start off um, with both teams continuing to have issues uh, with each other. And I thought X Pac and Billy Gunn were great in this match. And I forgot also how good Kane was back in the day. Like it's the same moves that he's been using for 20 years at this point, but just when he's younger, he's able to fly around a little bit more. It was awesome to see Kane at his best. And it's awesome that road dog showed up. Um, (laughs) well, that's about hard. I think road dog and Xbox had a really good sequence to like start the match. And then at the interesting point where they had respect for each other, then they're both arguing with their partners. Like Kane basically grabs eight foot by the hair back to the corner so he can get tagged in yeah and then there was that really interesting point where um uh billy gunn was holding xbox arms back so road dog could come in and hit him with like a, a punch to the face and road dog was like nah let him go let him go we're not gonna do it that way um so that that that's interesting that road dog really wanted to do this right down the middle billy gunn just wanted to win the titles he didn't really care um and then Later on in the match, Road Dog low blows Kane like right in front of the referee, who just gives him a "Hey, keep those punches bo- above the waist now. Come on yeah. now." Um, I was wondering, is this just me? Like he can clearly see you. He's telling you not to do that. Yeah, he's not ringing the bell. Exactly, and it was clearly a low blow too. Like it wasn't like he went to go hit him in the gut. Like no, he bent down and punched a grown man in his burnt little dick, and <laughs> it just. It just, like, wasn't cool. The match continues anyway. And then X-Pac and Kane get the win after, like, a really confusing finish where I, Road Dog like, fell and tapped Billy in the foot, and then he fell. And then X-Pac, I guess, was too heavy for all 245 pounds of Billy Gunn to push off of him, and they get the win anyway. So, I mean, really wouldn't matter if they got the DQ or not. It's still sort of on Road Dog. Like, it still would have been the same like outcome regardless yeah uh, like you said the sizes of the different guys didn't really make much sense like if it was Kane because like, I'm pretty sure like even though Kane's a bit bigger Billy Gunn could make a good attempt at lifting Kane so if like Kane fell on him then he'd make sense like I remember there was a, a version of this like last year I think it was where Seth Rollins lifted up uh, Dolph Ziggler and Drew McIntyre hit him with a Claymore which caused Dolph to fall on him so it's a similar thing they're doing here, except I just think the one they did, like, I think it just took them years to perfect a spot like this. Yeah, they try to, I, from what I remember, they try to explain it away on commentary where Road Dog like, accidentally hit uh, Billy's leg, and it's like, but that's not what happened. Like, you can obviously see he, like, just tapped him in the shin, and then Billy was like, whoa! You know, yeah. it's it's not like you're getting you know, a size 15 E shoe into your face. And then a guy who's 240 pounds is landing on you. It's like, you got tapped in the foot. And then a guy who weighs like 40 pounds soaking, what fell on you, 
your fucking Billy Gunn roided out to the max, allegedly, um, and just couldn't just no kick out. So, I mean, honestly, that's really on Billy Gunn, uh, which leads into a, an argument backstage that they have, um, uh, which, I mean, shows more dissension between the New Age Outlaws and apparently they are heading for a breakup. I did like, I like the idea that you said, like, all, the whole point of this was to show dissension and the outlaws. So I like what they were going for. I guess they just thought, like, maybe they thought Rodog would hit into Billy with more impact than he actually did. So it's more of the execution. But the idea, I think, was still solid. And, yeah, I think they're teasing the breakup where Billy Gunn could go and have his crowning achievement, quite literally, and win the King of the Ring. Yeah, and that, that will be happening later on this year, but it happens before SmackDown comes back, so we're going to have to figure out how we're going to handle that. Um, I mean, I think crowning achievement, he, he's one of the few kings who never got an actual crown. He was oh, even yeah. worthy of a crown. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, I guess King Ass doesn't have the right ring to it. <laughs> so, um, so uh, coming up next is my least favorite part of the show. Uh, this really confusing and by confusing i mean bad promo with the brood and michael ps hayes um they come out and they're talking about the i don't know creatures of the night or weirdos and i mean gangrel i i had the pleasure of calling a gang excuse me a gangrel match uh late last year mm-hmm. and he's a great guy really nice guy and at this point like his matches are pretty decent and he you know really nice guy and everything still does the whole gimmick like really really well um, but his promo here, uh, with my, Michael Hayes is just, oof, like, so, like he's not projecting his voice. It just, it sounds like he hasn't gotten used to speaking with the teeth in yet. And it's, uh, I don't even know. Don't even know. What did you make of the promo? Of course, all this. I was talking to a wrestler, a Scottish wrestler named Crager, who told me a story about how he was blocked on Twitter by Gangrel <laughs> because he was, Gangrel apparently was maybe coming uh, to the, do the holiday camps in the UK and uh, Crager was maybe on the holiday camps but he didn't realise that they were going to be on different runs of the holiday camps so basically he was hoping they'd maybe try and work some angle with Grand Grill so he sent him these tweets basically telling him he was going to beat him up or whatever he actually actually sent him and apparently Grand Grill didn't realise what he was doing and didn't know who he was so he just blocked him on Twitter Oh jeez not yeah. everyone not everyone can use it to get that over like um like Joey Janela did. So, you know, it's all yeah. just a matter of opinion, I suspect. I'm plus the guy's in his forties now, so I'm I'm assuming he's just like, ah, whoever the fuck this kid is, let him whatever. <laughs> yeah, speaking of the promo, like they were trying to build up when, on commentary when they came out, like the bird are gonna break their silence and like you'd think that'd be a segment that would be promoted like during the show, yet I think there was little of a mention of it, like the entrance is still cool, like with the fire. And I'm always worried when Edge goes across because he's got that long flowing jack, which I'm always worried he's going to catch fire. And that theme, that theme is such a banger. Oh, Love yeah. it. Uh, so then the lights go out um, after Edge. Set, and again, Edge is another guy. I love the guy. love the like, the character. and and But this is just not none of these three guys were like there yet at all, like on the mic or anything. Um, but then Christian got out. Kind of fake landscape because he made the right decision and decided not to, not to speak. But that's, far what, as, that's what I'm saying. Christian for Hall of Fame, like he knows when to call his shots. You know, Edge, like God love him, but because I remember hearing like the bit we are are who we are the unholy trio bit. Like I've heard that snippet, like showing whatever they talk 
talk about the brood and I think, I think they just went through this whole world to find the one decent line. But like, yeah, him and Gangrel, their delivery just wasn't good, especially Ed, who his Canadian accent let him down because he said defeats come out at night. <laughs> it's just as well he didn't have him say about in his promo as well, just to really put the nail in the coffin. Yeah. Oh, I see what you did there. Nice. Very nice. <laughs> Uh, and so we, after he says that the freaks come oot at night, uh, the lights go the lights go oot, and uh, Hayes gets a bloodbath on the outside. Um, that's about it. It leads, uh, as we know, it leads into Michael P.S. Hayes bringing the Hardy Boys up to feud with the Brood, which leads into what we all know and love, the uh, TLC matches. So that's coming down the pike as we speak. So, so what you're saying is this terrible promo was a genesis for TLC? Sure. I hope you don't pull a muscle reaching for that connection, but um, <laughs> that's enough for you were saying. Yeah, well, I guess so. Yeah. Um, so then we we see Mister Ass looking for X Pac in the back, obviously with some sort of score to settle. Uh, I guess we'll be checking back in there with Mister Posterior uh, later on. Speaking speaking of people who are getting that ass in gear, Kevin Kelly is backstage with with uh, Shamrock who says that he's going to break Bradshaw's arms and legs in a street fight, and then after he's done with that, he's going to beat him up some more. Ken Shamrock really on fire here, really showing that intensity. And it should, I mean, honestly, the street fight is maybe one of my favorite things on this show because I, who doesn't love two big, angry dudes just beating the holy hell out of each other with a baseball bat, you know? Yeah, I mean, Shamrock had the advantage going into it, not just because he ran behind him, but he... he read the fine print and said street fight so he came out in his street clothes like he wasn't messing around yeah absolutely i mean and listen i don't know how bradshaw dresses behind the scenes especially at this time so if this was their street clothes i would hate to see what he wears in private uh so in the street bradshaw versus shamrock uh shamrock wasted no time and attacked bradshaw from behind um the bell rings and they fight around the entirety of the ringside area there's you know, people getting thrown into the timekeeper's table. There's the bat floating around. Uh, Bradshaw really swung for the fences on those moments where Shamrock was coming off the ropes. Really, like, if he had, if either of them had mistimed it, someone was dying. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, like, go ahead. Yeah, like, from what I've heard about how much, uh, how stiff Bradshaw could be, I think he was one of the few guys around this thing that I don't think he would have really put much of a fight like going in against someone like with background of Ken Shamrock. I think he'd be one of the guys who thought, all right, fair enough, I'll, I can take him. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then what I found most interesting about this match um, was that in the crowd, there is a sign that says 89 days till Raw is Jericho. Who is this time-traveling man, and why didn't he have a job in WWF at the time? Yeah, I remember like when I first watched King of the Rain, eat that guy, I don't know if it's the same guy, but there's a similar sign Obviously, a different amount of days, but like I think he was just getting out in the newsletter that I think it was, was like maybe people knew that Jericho signing had like Jericho had signed already, but they just didn't know when he was going to show up. But I don't know how this guy knew exactly about how many days it was going to be. Yeah, because I I think it is. Uh, let's see, it's uh, I think he premieres what in January of two thousand. Um, I don't remember. No, he debuts in like August. Again. Oh yeah. And like the same guy, he had a weird place to things because he had that, and then he had a sign earlier on in the Diesel match, which is probably one of the more interesting. Probably the main reason I spotted this is because how bad that match 
was, but he just said www.dealobrown.com just randomly on a sign. <laughs> it's this guy that sent Dari the Dilo fan page, sat with us. I don't know why he had that sign. Oh, man. Yeah, just this guy This guy just seemed to be on point all night with those signs. Um, Bradshaw's choked out by a bat at, towards the end of this match, uh, and he. what I found most interesting is that he was, like, grabbing at Tim White and pulled Tim White down to the down to the mat just before fading away which i thought was a really uh really good really good way to end the match um officials come out to get shamrock off of bradshaw and they get attacked uh what did you think of the match as a whole yeah i really did. like i remember when they were going through like showing you the graphics of the matches that were coming up later in the night this was probably the one that really piqued my interest most because like i said these are two really hard attacking guys and you put them in a street fight so i really liked it and I really like the finish because it, it really helped to re reestablish that Sam Rock is a dangerous guy like flashes back to like when he was in the shoe of the rock and he was constantly beating up officials. So like these guys are trying to pull him off like he's even beating up Sergeant Slaughter with the bat. Yeah, I mean and I think they I feel like they cut away a little too soon yeah. from from that whole beatdown and, and whatnot just because it was it, it was very interesting to see Shamrock just going off on people, beating the hell out of Slaughter and beating the hell out of everybody who came out there. I, I love when Shamrock just goes off the rails and is just attacking officials left and right. Yeah. And like I said, like it did cut away way too early. You can see why he was getting like so vicious because uh, Bradshaw was a part of the ministry or corporate ministry and they mentioned they, they kidnapped his sister. So he, had, he did have a score set also. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, we go backstage, and for the last time tonight, uh, who this guy's got to be breaking a sweat already. Kevin Kelly is with Mankind in the boiler room, who takes a few moments to describe himself to the UPN audience, saying that the only reason he wears a mask is to sell some sell some dolls to kids, and he likes to hang out in boiler rooms because he enjoys the ambiance. Um, you hear Mr. Ass looking for X-Pac in the back, and Mankind describes him as a whiner as we <laughs> fade into the next segment but before we get there scott what did you think of this promo for mankind yeah there were a lot of you said a lot of backstage things a lot of them are really just i didn't really pay attention to it but this is by far the best one because like mankind just really didn't care he just basically said yeah mankind i'll hang a bit in ballrooms and i wear a mask like if you don't know me that's basically who i am and yeah i'd appreciate it i'm just well to be fair billy glenn basically whether or not intentionally he interrupted his promo so He's well within his rights to call him a whiner because that's what he's been. Yeah, and honestly, it's we it's so like random to just watch this and then you think back and you're like, wow, this is almost a year on from him getting tossed off of the Hell in a Cell, and how he's even able to stand, let alone get down to the ring and have the kind of match he had with Boss Man. Uh, more, although it's more of like an angle be the match with boss man it's just the fact that he's even able to roll into the ring and you know bump a little bit was i mean the i the toughest guy in like on the face of the planet earth has to be mcfoley yeah considering everything he's been through and like he was like i don't think he even took that much time off after the hell and sale he was still going and like even like a few or so months ago at this time is when he takes those 11 unprotected chair shots to the head and he's still going. So from that, we move on to our uh, 
penultimate match of the evening, uh, Big Boss Man versus Mankind. Uh, man, the story of this match is pretty much Mankind goes for Sako, uh, so Boss Man flees, but he's thrown back in by Test, and then Boss Man gets clotheslined over the top rope by Mankind, and he gets thrown back in by Big Show. Which that one from Big Show is crazy. Like it, I don't think it's to be overstated that, but um, the Big Show was able to lift up an over 300 pounder over his head and just toss him back into the ring. Like he was a sack of like laundry. Yeah. I, mean, I didn't take as many notices as you did. So yes, but I, I did make two during this one being like, there's some sort of union forming here. Wink, wink. And the second one being big, we big show manhandled boss man. Boss man will get his revenge. And the one that was over the top ways imaginable later this year. Yeah, and I think that it was interesting that we got the, like, overt, hey, we're a new faction with the corporate ministry, but then they just sort of subtly hint at it through the whole night that these, like, you know, for the lack of a better term, like, rejects and, you know, lower card, like, mid-card, upper mid-card guys are, like, they're out in the wind a little bit, so they're kind of starting to drift toward one another, and it, it became more and more interesting, especially in this match, alone like it was cool to see you know test and big show both running out before mankind eventually does get the Sako win and mankind just sort of fucks off and that's the end of that segment um we join mr ass backstage who finds and attacks x-pac but gets immediately stopped and thwarted by kane a quick little segment here but uh what'd you make of it i did think it was kind of pointless given how many things we cut backstage to to belly gun trying to find these two and then to suddenly be chased off so quickly like was there really need why did we need these segments i'm chasing like i know it's not that much time but could we not give this extra like minute or so we wasted and i'm trying to find them one to like maybe the big big show test match earlier yeah absolutely absolutely if i i guess uh in a way like it might have just been that the show was running a little short in the edit so they probably just filmed these for a little bit and just had them you know, go at it for a second and then get split up. Because when you when you come under, especially on network TV for, you know, even a couple minutes, you know, it's like, oh, well, we got to bring something in here. We got to do something. But then when you have the like weird editing choice with uh, Shamrock a little earlier on where they cut away from that sort of so quickly, like maybe if we, we, we would have hung out with Shamrock for another minute to see him beating up the officials might have played a little bit better. But who knows? Yeah. Main event time, it is Triple H and The Undertaker versus The Rock and Stone Cold Steve Austin. Uh, the Rock comes out uh, after Triple H and The Undertaker do, but he's by himself and starts getting beat down until uh, Austin's music hits a few seconds later. Uh, Hunter and Austin start attacking one another, and Austin gets in the ring. The match starts in earnest. Um, they fire back and forth for a little bit. They have a good, quick sort of uh, back and forth. Uh, it's interesting to see Triple H at this point where he's getting better, but he isn't exactly the main event star he becomes. Um, before we get to the post-match angle, uh, what did you make of the brouhaha that this match was? Uh, I just look at the match and think, like, you could basically say, give me an example of an Attitude Era main event. On You could just show someone this match because like, it was fairly quick. There was definitely star power involved and then a non-finish. So it pretty much sums up main events in this era and... Like I said, I did think it was a bit quick because, like, you'd have an extended sequence of Undertaker and Triple H beat up Austin, then The Rock gets a tag, 
they then they do the same to him and then like you said there's the whole post match thing and like I just would have liked if they played up maybe there's some dissension between Rock a bit more in this match before the post match. Yeah, definitely. Um, and as you were saying, with the post-match, the rest of the corporate ministry starts flooding the ring for the DQ. Big Show and Test and Shamrock come out to even it out. Um, they start fighting all the way to the back. It's mentioned on commentary that they're fighting all over the building. They're climbing through the rafters, beating the hell out of one another. And Taker and Austin continue to fight uh, in the middle of the ring. Um, Shane McMahon comes down uh, only to get cold-cocked by Vince, who didn't leave the building, as was reported earlier. Um, but then Vince just gets a just nasty looking chair shot to the head, uh, saving Austin, who stuns Taker and Shane, who was beating up an unconscious Vince McMahon. Um, what do you think of the whole post match angle before we get to the Austin beer bash at the end? Yeah, because as soon as they said Vince is left in the building to discuss something, like okay, is it he's going is he going to come back during the main event or is he going to come back in the post match? Because like, I think I've been conditioned to think, okay, he said one thing, so we should think another. And they said the chair shot, I, I think I winced a little bit when I seen that chair shot because Vince doesn't even get, like, part of his hands up to even cushion it a little bit. He properly takes that right on his head. And we've heard the rumours of, like, Vince saying he wouldn't ask, like, his wrestlers to do something he wouldn't do. And I think he took that very far in this segment. Absolutely. I mean, it does go to show that that whole old like Vince McMahon adage that he wouldn't ask you to do something that he wasn't prepared to do for himself. And I mean, Taker just fucking God damn that just, and they showed it like two or three more times on, on replay, like right after it happened. And it was just, ugh, just, ugh. I mean, at this point, the guy's like in his early fifties and he's taken these like just nasty, nasty shots to the face with that chair and the chair bends and, he goes down like a sack of shit down in the center of the ring where Jesus Christ. Um, and then Austin, of course, like after he's drinking a beer, he just stands over him and just pours a beer onto his head, which always makes me laugh. It always makes me laugh. The silly little things Austin would do to Vince and vice versa. Unbelievable. Uh, Austin does the beer bash to close the show. Um, did, like, sorry, I did like Shane's, but like Shane gets, gets a punch. Not, a, not the best punch to be fair, but I mean, we've seen how Shane punches, but... And then he gets into the ring, and as soon as he's, he sits down, he immediately tries to attack him. Like, just really goes to show how great, like, they booked Shane, like, he'll, how much a coward he was. Like, he wouldn't really get involved, and then he gets in the ring while he stands down, only to get a stunner for Austin to help. Again, the crowd cheers, as they always would. Yeah, absolutely. And when he was, like, getting up to his feet, and Austin's right in his face, flipping him the bird, it was just... Classic WWF attitude, classic attitude era stuff. And of course, Vince gets woken up by the beer getting poured onto his head. Laughter is had by all. And that's the end of the show. That was the SmackDown pilot. Um, So uh, we didn't talk about this beforehand, but how would you like to do this? Thumbs, star rating, percentage. What do you want to do here? I think thumbs is a better one because... Like, people get really serious about, like, stars. Like, you said this was three stars, but that's four, so you're saying that's better, whereas I think I'll really prefer thumbs. All right, so as far as a rating, what would you give this? Thumbs up, thumbs in the middle, thumbs down? Uh, I think it's, I think maybe a thumbs in the middle, to be fair, because, like, they didn't treat this as much as a B-show. Like, they 
they had a big angle with the corporate manager, which plays a big factor in the company for the next few months, like for most of the summer, I believe. So, like, they felt confident enough to have that on this segment, on this show. But just like I said, some of the uh, like matches being too short to really have any ever really lasting impact. The brood promo wasn't the best, and like some really like shitty finishes to some of the matches. But so not a bad show. I just really wasn't like blown away. Absolutely, yeah, I, I I agree with you. I'm I'm more of like a middling to up sort of like right in the middle there. Um, I I loved the intro at the beginning. Um, some of the matches were really hot. The ca- a lot of the characters are just over. Like the crowd was just into like literally everything. Um, I liked some of the choices that they made early on with having uh, Cornette and Cole at ringside. Uh, sometimes it was a little too facey to both faces, just sort of like you know, hating on the heels and liking the good guys and this and that. But a lot of good stuff got laid uh, in like, like the groundwork was laid for a lot of stuff. And we saw the formation of the corporate ministry. So overall, not bad. Could have been a little bit better to make it get uh, a thumbs up. Maybe if we got some of those matches to get a little bit more time, but this was not the era for matches getting a lot of time. I mean, mean, we are, like I said, that may have been quite critical in some parts, but, that's the whole thing with this being a pilot. Like with any TV show, you watch them like a few years down the line, how mu- how very much different they are from the pilot episodes. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it's it's always interesting to go back and watch the pilot to see what the choices that they made were, and I'll be interested to see when we get to the first episode of SmackDown. Um, in uh, it, it airs in August, so you know we'll probably get to that shortly. Um. And I suppose that's it for us here. We're going to be checking ourselves out of the SmackDown Hotel this week. Um, Scotty, give us uh, your plugs there, bud. Uh, you can get me on Twitter at ScottMcLeod1986. And if you want to hear more of my opinions on wrestling from any era, then you can check my check out my podcast, Scott and Paul's Rambling Podcast, where we also talk uh, Frasier a lot on that show. You can get us uh, at SP Rambling on Twitter, and if you can check us out on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Rambling Podcast. Alrighty, and uh, check us out. Go back in the archives and check out uh, some of the episodes that we have for Kayfabe Court, and me and uh, Nathan and Raul, we just built a, a couple bands. Uh, that, <laughs> that episode was a lot of fun to make and a lot of fun to listen to. So go back and listen to us. That's Rogue Opinions. That's Rogue underscore Opinion on Twitter. Rogue period Opinions on Instagram. Um, f- you know, Tell your friends. Let us know what you think, and we'll keep doing this stuff for you. I'm at Mr. Riot. That's M-R-R-I-0-T on Twitter. Leave me alone on Facebook, for God's sakes. And um, go follow MC Pod 23. That's my other podcast. We're planning on making a big comeback in the next couple of weeks. So uh, if you want to hear us talk more crap and it's just going to be a bunch of Americans just being Americans about stuff, listen to that. <laughs> so for Mr. Scott McCloud, I'm Mr. Jim Baxter, Jimmy Riot, whatever people want to call me these days. And thank you so much for joining us. We'll be back in no time. No chance that's what you got. <laughs> Up against the machine